This is episode number 234 of the Rising Man podcast with James Ferrigno. What the heck is holding space anyway? Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. My name is Jetty Azuma, and I am here to host another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Before I introduce our guest for today, I want to invite every single one of you men who's just been listening to the podcast. Maybe you've been tuning in for years or just a few episodes. Either way, if you are not yet a part of the Rising Man Brotherhood community, then please do yourself a favor, jump in. All you have to do is go to risingman.org brotherhood. If you want to join our free community, the spark level is available to any man who wants to join. All you have to do is click the link to register, give us your name and information, and you get access to the whole online community, weekly calls that we have led by myself and our leadership team, lots of value and access to men from the Rising Man community all over the world who are choosing to level up today. If you want to take a bigger step in and become a member of our Fire Circle teams, you can go ahead and register for the Fire Circle membership and you'll get access to your very own team, your very own accountability space and place to be supported and seen by men who know what it takes to walk the path of a purpose-driven man. So if you're not yet a part of the community, just been tuning in, go to risingman.org slash brotherhood, register for Spark, sign up for a Fire Circle team, but go ahead, do yourself a favor and get involved. All right, my guest for today is James Ferrigno. James is a teacher, intuition medicine practitioner, and dating and relationship coach who works with men to help them attract quality women, maintain healthy relationships, and tap into their natural masculinity. In this episode, James and I started by answering the question, why being a man and masculinity are not exactly identical, and how to bring our energies into balance. We talked about the power of discernment and how that relates to manhood and masculinity, and the difference between judgment and discernment. We talked about why discernment, responsibility, and commitment are the most underdeveloped masculine qualities in our men today. We talked about what does holding space really mean, and how creating safety for someone else connects us to our masculinity. James articulated David Data's three stages of masculine development as a reference for seeing where we can further develop our masculine qualities. We talked about where and when disassociating from our emotions is still useful and the relationship between emotions and intuition and another way to consider connecting to emotions. This and so much more without further ado, James Ferrigno. All right, Rising Man family, I've got James Ferringo joining me from San Francisco in the Bay Area, freezing his butt off. <laughs> How's it going, James? <laughs> Going pretty good, pretty good, Jetty. Yeah, I I was telling you before we started recording that uh, not too long ago I lived out in that area of the world, and to have a December day where it was eighty three degrees here in Austin yesterday is very very unusual compared to what I'm used to. So I see you over there in your sweater and your scarf, and I'm like, ah, there there are benefits to being here in the winter time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, welcome to the show, James. Um, I'm just getting to know you as we have this interview. I'm very interested in your experiences and your story that's led you to here. So let's go ahead and get started. I always begin with this question. For you, James, what does it mean to be a man? It means, you know, there's a long list of, I think, qualities, but uh, it means to... For me, to 
more to be on a path of becoming a man, to becoming masculine. Because uh, through my life, it's just been moving closer and closer to the ideal of the, you know, the mythic king. And I think it means to be more compassionate than is usually given credit in society in general. I know that the masculine qualities of strength are focused on strength, speed, agility, power. Uh, but also I think some of the key masculine qualities that are important. Um, you know, in, in the Arthurian legends, like the finding of the grail and the rise of King Arthur are, is about the individuals finding their masculinity, which is also their spirit, right? And so for a man, the spirit is, uh, can be a masculine, not always, but for me it is. And to find that and go on that path is something that I spent my whole life doing. And what often isn't focused on is to be a healer and to be compassionate and to be wise and to have balance and to be able to see more than one side of an issue, I think is very important. And not just two sides either. Often uh, when people don't want to see one side, they think, well, I see both sides. Well, you know, and there's a phrase, there's both two sides to every issue, but really there's 20 sides, 50 sides to every issue. And being able to see all those different sides of things, and be able to come at things from a lot of different angles, and really to be able to do it with the same issue at the same time, to be able to see all the things, because the king has to have, is the judge, right? So the king has to be able to be discerning about events and be discerning about not just their actions, but for other people as well, because not everyone has reached the king's stage and most haven't. So I think those are things that, that are left out a lot. And I think compassion or love, if you will, and being able to hold space, being able to hold that space of love around another person or a number of people is an incredible power. It's, in fact, I think the greatest power. I think to be able to do that is one of the key components of being. Yeah. Uh, there's a few things I want to ask you. I'm going to start at the end and work in reverse. So a lot of people say the word holding space. I even say holding space. Sometimes I'm, I'm catching myself a little bit more and more because to me, that's not very specific. Yeah. And also a lot of people have no idea what the fuck holding space actually means. So I think of containment container. Uh, what does holding space actually mean to you? Um, love really. Be more it's specific. What is, what is compassion? It's um, being able to create a safe space for another person, which is a little bit nebulous, right? It's like, what does that mean? Well, it, means that to be grounded yourself, which is an actual gravity grounding is a practice that I've done every day since 2006. And when you're grounded, when the, 
gravity energy is actually running through your body at a higher rate. It helps ground you and it calms you and takes you into a deeper space and it brings you into your lower body. So when you're all up here, you get top heavy, right? Dizzy. And then we have a lot of the thinking in our society and I, I really had a tendency to it, especially when I was younger. And to be able to bring your energy down, down to your heart, down into your legs. And when you do that, it actually can kind of ground the whole area around you and it will help to calm other people. And if you can do it really well, you can calm a lot of other people. That's one of the techniques, but that's just part of it. It's having an open heart, really. And literally, if you want to talk about it scientifically, it's being able to open your heart chakra to a point where energy is coming out of it. And that energy is contacting the other people and contacting their heart chakras. So, and there's a real magic to that. And when, you know, and also there's other parts of it, which is being a good listener, being able to listen about to people. And when you're curious about someone and you, when you have compassion for them, then you really care about them. Like you really honestly care. You can't fake this. You can't fake it. You can't pretend to care. So when you really do care, when you really have compassion, when you can be grounded and open and have your heart open, that energy comes out and people can feel and can tell they feel heard, they feel seen. And that's part of what love is. And I think what love actually is, is the spirit is spirit, which is a form of consciousness. And it kind of it is who you are in the other plane. And when you can bring that through, when you become embodied enough to bring that spirit in, bring that love in, then open and let it through to the world, let it go down your feet into the earth in one form, but also let it out apart. And then when you can consciously also use your mind to listen and pay attention to people and care about them, then they feel safe and protected. And that, that's what holding space is, all those different things. Going to more yeah, details and I, I tend to think about it similarly. I'm glad that you drew a little more of a clear picture of what that looks like for you. Because to me, when I talk to guys about being being the leader, being the emotional anchor in the room, I imagine myself digging my feet into the soil, digging my feet underground. And as chaos is happening around me and things are uncertain and unclear and people are feeling unsettled, whether it's a whole room full of people or one person who I'm with, if I've got my feet dug in deeper than who I'm with, that mean, that puts me in that position that you're describing for me of holding space. I'm holding center. I'm holding anchor. I'm rooting. I'm grounding so that whoever is with me can feel the freedom of exploring, experiencing the emotions that they're having, feeling fear. Because part of what I think is the service of not only men, but that masculine force within us is to be that container that can hold the wildness of water and emotion moving about. And so I like that you described it a little more specifically there, which leads me to the other point I want you to clarify, because 
I asked you to describe what it meant to be a man. And then you gave a really nice description of the qualities that you see in there, including discernment, which I want to tap into a little bit more. But then you also started talking about masculine. And one of the topics that's come up on the show is, are being a man and masculine synonymous? Are they the same thing for you? No, they're not identical. They're not synonymous. Um, all people have both masculine and feminine energy within them. And it's a balance of balancing that masculine and feminine energy. And if you're only the masculine energy and you neglect your feminine energy, that's not really, that's not a balanced man. That's not, the spirit can't come all the way into you if you're like that. Because your, your energy is unbalanced. Mm -hmm. So you can't really be, can't rise to that thing of being the king or whatever other word you want to use for that. Um, when you're, when you're all balanced and all masculine and part of the masculinity. So some of those feminine characteristics are part of what being a man is, you know, being a healer is critical, critical. Um, and even the being able to hold space is, is really important. And if you were a hundred percent masculine, you wouldn't be able to do that. And also some men are more feminine. They choose to be feminine or that's they're going to lean towards feminine and in fact what we have in society right now is the majority of men leaning more towards feminine than masculine and though they're not really aware of that and there's nothing wrong with that it's not bad in any way it's just a stage of development and it's a appropriate and proper stage and uh yeah, so I'd say they're not synonymous, though for most men, if you want to be truly balanced and truly be able to live in the world and meet your potential and express yourself and be creative and lead, then you need to have the full range of that masculine part. It is very important to have. And if for most men, the masculine is going to be. So the feminine is still there, but the leadership part is the masculine. It's, it's really, it's not the same thing, but it is also critical. Yeah. And I, that's what I've come to discover over the years is that for myself, man and male and masculine are not all identical. As you said, they're not all, they don't all represent exactly the same thing especially when we talk about manhood. And the reason why I asked that question in the beginning, what does it mean to be a man? Is because to me, it's entirely, almost entirely unique. I, I've, I've discovered and identified and continue to define what being a man for myself looks like. But that's not up to me to decide for somebody else. The way that you express and articulate yourself in, as a man, it's not up to me. And even at our events, you know, even calling our, our organization, the rising man, I've had people come up to me and said, well, what if, what if someone came to your event who um, had transitioned to be genetically or uh, yeah, a genetic, genetically who transitioned genders. Okay. Let's say it that way. Um, and they identify as a man, but they're not, they were not biologically male when they came into this life. I say, Hey, th this is an organization for people who identify as men not people who were born biologically male necessarily. 
So I like creating that distinction. And I do agree with you that there's some of these historically or traditionally masculine qualities and characteristics that are missing in our society for people who identify as men or boys trying to become men. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned David Data's three stages of masculine development. Can you, can you review those for us? Cause I want to lay down that context for the next topic. Sure. I'm going to turn my sound up a little bit. Um, yeah. So he, David Data laid out three stages of uh, masculine development and it's pretty standard for people to refer to it. Uh, it's a, it's a, good and convenient model to use. It's a little, it's a model, so it is oversimplified. Any model is more simple than the reality. So the first stage of masculine evolution is the first stage, man, is the classic man. It's what, what most men were, say, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And that first stage of masculine development is rooted in the masculine and is very grounded very self-assured, is good with leadership. These are general characteristics in general. And, but also usually has a low level, if any, compassion, is very close-hearted in most cases. Uh, and the intellect is fairly simple by comparison to the later stages and isn't really interested in subtlety and nuance, isn't really is interested in more complex and subtle ideas and philosophies um, for the most part, and also expresses themselves physically as a first, you know, the first way they're going to express themselves is physically. And because the heart is closed, they can often be cruel, and violent and very unpleasant and manipulative and dominating really is the word dominating domineering where they'll just control and dominate over people like you're going to do it and if you do, i'm going to grab you and make you do it i'm going to stab you shoot you do whatever i have to do to make you do what i want and so when you see people that go into violence you know holding a gun on somebody uh, whatever they're doing, grabbing someone, it's, that's first stage behavior. Uh, the second stage, which, you know, was existed for a long time and began to develop, but it really started more and more men started being first stage. When I look back in history, I see it really starting uh, in around the turn of the century after World War One, 20s and 30s, there started to be more. But then it really ramps up in the 50s and 60s and say it's keeping ramping up more and more. So the more and more men are uh, second stage to the point where now most men are second stage, but the vast majority are second stage right now. Uh, the number in the first stage has become fairly small. Um, David Data didn't talk about this, but when I'm working with people and when I talk about it, I have like transition stages in between one and two and two and three because there's all these people that I meet that are their ones transitioning to twos or twos transitioning to three and uh, so they have characteristics of both and I've seen a lot of that now is guys who are maybe born in the first stage 
And I think this is far less common. I think 2,000 years ago, pretty much where you were born is where you were. But I think now things are just accelerating so much, so much development. Things are happening so quickly. And on an energetic level, this planet is just evolving at a rapid pace. So there's these people that are born in first stage, but they start to develop these second stage characteristics. And just as someone like me who started out second stage has moved into the transitioning into third stage. And um, second stage is the nice guy. Like uh, Robert Glover wrote a book about the nice guy syndrome, which is basically about the second stage male. And the second stage male is not very grounded, not very good with women, doesn't have a lot of sex, not very good at leading, but is, compared to the first stage, more intellectual, usually higher intelligence, more interested in things, has more subtlety, more open-heartedness, more compassion, ability to pay attention to somebody, ability to hold space, like we were talking about. And these are really important characteristics. So, but second stage also, there's a number of drawbacks of really having problem with relationships and the, the woman in a relationship with a second stage guy usually has to be the masculine because that's incapable of really leading. That's most relationships now. Um, and then the people we're learning transition to the third stage. Third stage is basically best of first and second. It's the second stage people. It's not like second can be skipped. No, it's the second stage people being able to develop the true characteristics that kind of the that first stage had the toxic mimic of grounding leadership. Um, confidence, uh, ability to uh, really, really hold space in a, in a new kind of way. Um, the second stage guys can start to do it, but in third stage, you can, you're using your grounding and your masculine power, and then you can really do it, right? Um, and so... It has the intellectual, the third stage guy has the intellectual capacity and all these things that developed in the second stage, but also has those true things. So like that, the confidence of a first stage person is not really confidence. I call it fake confidence because they are just cut off from their emotions. So they're not really being courageous because in order to be courageous, you have to be afraid because courage is facing something when you're afraid of it. If you're completely cut off from your emotions and you're really just unaware of any fear and then you do it, that's not courage, right? And similarly, when you walk into a situation and you can just tell people what to do and you're acting confident, that confidence is hiding some deep, deep insecurities, some deep, deep issues. So it's this, because that that confidence doesn't come with authenticity. It doesn't come with connection. It's just a blunt instrument. Um, Let me jump in there for a second. Yeah. Uh, so th thank you for laying out the stages of, yeah. of development there. I find that um, what I take away from that is the opportunity for men to have greater range and greater capacity. So versus, and I don't know, I'm not as familiar with David data sequencing, but to me, I don't know if it's developing through the stages linearly, but I think my, my development, and I think a lot of men I've seen, it's more which which sides of this sphere do I need to develop more of? So I think of a fully integrated man, a well-rounded man that has 
like you said, in that third stage, the best of both sides of this expression. I think of symbols like yin and yang and, and, and walking that fine line between these two polar opposite forces. And so what I find in this conversation is really valuable. I think a lot of people would benefit from are a lot of the traditional qualities that we associate with what's represented by that quote unquote bad boy archetype or the nice guy archetype and focusing more on those qualities and how to develop them. And one of the ones that I heard you share when I asked you, what does it mean to be a man was discernment. I remember when I was uh, right before I married my wife. So we're going back, gosh, almost nine years ago now. And we were getting some counseling from some elders in, in our community um, who had much more experience in relationship than we did. One of these elders, a man named Richard Palmer, who uh, I know and love dearly, he's also uh, been, has been involved in men's work going all the way back to the early Robert Bly days, and mythopoetics, et cetera. And he was the first person who introduced me to this idea of discernment as a, as a quality of leadership and a, a quality of masculinity that, uh, to be honest with you, at that time in my life, I was very intimidated by because the nice guy in me didn't want to be discerning. The nice guy in me did not want to face conflict, uh, had a hard, real hard time with conflict and confrontation at that part of my development. So let's talk a little bit about discernment because I think that's such an underappreciated masculine quality. That sense of, well, let me have you define it. What is discernment? If you could define it, describe it, tell mm -hmm. us what it looks like so people can see it and identify so, it. Yeah, discernment's being able to look at a person or a situation and being able to see what's going on. So it's being able to see underneath things. So it's being able to see the difference between two things or being able to see maybe beneath what someone's real motivations are, what their emotions are, what, uh, and being able to see the complexity of a situation. Because, I mean, there are more things going on in a situation that a human could ever possibly comprehend. But that just shows you how complex they are. They're not these simple things that usually these models are created. And these the people describe events. You'll see it, whatever, on a feed or Facebook or news in a very, very simplified way. So we have this simplified way of looking at things of us. I mean, we're just used to it. And things are almost never like that. There's more going on. So the discernment is really being able to see a little more clearly what's really happening. And there is an issue with discernment that I wrote an article boy, a year ago, a year or two ago, sometime during COVID, um, about the difference between judgment and discernment. And I, I think that's a critical issue because judgment can get really mixed up in there. And um, they do talk about this in uh, uh, Once in Future King as well, where the king first has to judge. And it's an earlier stage of development, being able to judge things. Discernment is more subtle and more advanced than judgment. And when you're judging something, you're saying it's right or wrong your you will criticize it correct it uh you attempt to control it in some way even if it's only internally 
through your emotions. Whereas discernment, you're, you are seeing the thing without attaching your own emotions to it, really. Uh, and I think that's where are having expectations for it. And we, we really get hung up on this a lot of attaching our emotions to things, people. And that's what, like, when they talk about Zen attachment, that's what attachment is. It's hanging your emotions on something, making your emotions dependent, <clears throat> dependent on an outcome of something or dependent on what it is that you want it to be currently. So, yeah, so discernment is a really important uh just a really beneficial skill. It's a, it's a high order skill. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's a lot harder than it sounds, you know, <laughs> just thinking of the textbook definition, um, especially when we come through just human development. And I think of this as part of the, what I think of as that threshold between childhood and adulthood. I think discernment is a key quality that is required to fully step into adulthood. Because as children, so much of what is right and wrong is decided for us. And we are led to right and wrong, hopefully guided in a healthy way by our parents, by our relatives, by our role models. But I, th I think rarely, especially in this society, do we, we don't encourage enough for young people to begin just deciding for themselves. And to, we, we, cause I think what we do is we help them to develop that moral compass, but actually taking that moral compass and applying it to difficult situations and circumstances in life. I know that for myself, that's something I felt like I wasn't really prepared for when I stepped into the world and that sense of being faced with a difficult situation and realizing that I'm the one who has to decide what's right and wrong. I'm the one who has to decide what's the best decision uh, action for me to take for me to do what's the best thing for me to say. And at times in my life where I've had that impulse to look around and, and almost as though like I was looking to my parents or somebody else to tell me what's the right thing to do here. To me, that's an underdeveloped uh, discernment, uh, a skill of discernment. And so I wonder if, uh, if you've also seen that or experienced that in your observations and your studies of men and masculinity. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I experienced it myself when I was young. I mean, the younger you are, the less skill you're going to have at that, most likely, because experience gives you a lot of it. And also knowledge uh, can help you discern more. And, you know, we're all different, but so we develop at different stages and people can do things at different times. But yeah, in, I remember in some areas, my discernment was really good when I was pretty young. In some areas, it was terrible, you know, and it took me years and years to cultivate those areas. And I see that with people, too. It's actually a very underdeveloped skill in most people that I've worked with. It's it's something that they could really benefit from, from focusing on because it's a broad thing. It's not just, oh, I'm going to, you know, I want to be able to do curls. So you go practice curling weights, you know. It's not just one thing you do to become discerning. It's a myriad of things. So it's having a broad knowledge of things. It's having a lot of experience, different circumstances, 
Well, it also requires us to take responsibility, which is also, I think, an underappreciated quality of masculinity, yeah. underdeveloped in That's our right. society for sure. Because to be discerning means I'm 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 linking my I'm I'm hitching my wagon to what I believe is right. And that may not be what others believe is right. It might not actually be what is right at the end of the day, right? Or mm -hmm. it may not be, it may, maybe it was the wrong choice. Maybe I'll mm -hmm. look back and say, wow, you know, I, I chose poorly. And mm -hmm. to be able to take that level of responsibility, I think is something really hard for those nice guys that we're talking about. Because I think, mm -hmm. and you correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, I identified as very much the nice guy for the majority of my life. And there was also an element of perfectionism because I always wanted to be seen in a bright light. So I wanted to be seen as competent. I wanted to be seen as I know myself and I know what is best. And I always show up and perform the best of my abilities. So taking responsibility, admission of getting something wrong or, or making a poor decision has always been the big, bigger edge or challenge for me. Whereas I think other people, people on the other side of the spectrum don't have that same challenge. But ownership, accountability, responsibility, those are qualities that are complementary to discernment. Because in order to discern means I'm going to choose something and accept whatever the sequence of events, the consequences are of that choice and that decision, which I also think is something a lot of us are not as prepared to do as we need to be. Yeah, I love that, Jetty. That's absolutely right on. I it's there are a number of complementary skills like commitment is part of what you're talking about really committing to something which is part of leadership is to be able to commit to it especially when you, you later find out that it's not maybe the best decision you could have made and in leadership sometimes you have to keep going with it even it's not over and you have to just keep going with this decision that you've made before that's not mm -hmm. what you want it to be and that's not easy to do and it's especially not easy to do in a confident way or to lead other people to do when it's already happened. I mean, I've found stuff like this in school with the kids. It's like, oh, well, we're in the middle of this thing. And OK, now I've seen that this is not the right thing to do. But there's kids behind us and kids. We have to keep going. We have to keep moving on this thing, regardless of whether it's the right thing or not. And to not show that to the other people that you're leading so that you don't want them to scatter and unconfident and afraid so yeah there's a lot of complementary skills that go along with that yeah you brought up the c word i think that's the, i'm noticing a, a pattern we're getting into here we're talking about at least for my for myself what i think are a lot of the the, the top underdeveloped qualities of masculinity in our in our modern society um mm -hmm. so commitment we've, we've talked about discernment we talked about responsibility what is your mm -hmm. definition of commitment well, another C word, consistency, is a big part of commitment because mm. um, it can allow you to do that. But though commitment is, it's both an emotional thing and an intellectual thing. So it's an intellectual decision, but it's also an emotional uh, connection because you've, in order to so you decide you're going to do something in order to see that to its fruition, which a lot of things we do, especially as adults, can be long term and can be very, very challenging. It can seem impossible at times, um, whether you're in a relationship or starting a business or just in your career, things can be incredibly difficult. So to commit to that thing 
it's to it takes your heart has to be in it you know you have to have emotions connected to it you also really best case are using your intuition to discern that it's the appropriate thing for you i think back to discernment intuition is a big part of discernment is developing mm. your intuition so um and I think this has just come up in my head. I think I'm going to say it just, it's a little bit off topic, but the qualities of masculinity that are very powerful that we're talking about now really require you to be able to use your intuition. So for this commitment to really be committed to something, it takes you using your intuition. It also takes being aware of your emotions, which are traditionally certainly in the West and America and most places uh, have been qualities associated with femininity in women and even qualities that were ridiculed in women. So women are being accused of being too emotional of, mm. and kind of this complete ignorance of intuition itself as if it's a fairy tale or some kind of fantasy, something that doesn't exist or something just frivolous to be, Slept off, and that's not only ended up in women being mistreated and undervalued, but in the society taking a wrong course because the people steering the boat are not paying attention to their intuition and not connected to their emotions, which it's not not helpful. So I just thought I had to throw that in there. Um, I love that. Well, let me let's 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 build off that a little bit because that's another one of those taboo things to talk about is men and their emotions. And we've talked about a lot on the podcast. So if there's anybody who listens to this, this is, this may seem like something they've heard before, but mm -hmm. again, to me, the theme here is, is um, fine lines and nuance. I think where we've gotten in the most trouble as a society is when we polarize, especially human beings, right? When we, when we make things black or white, not black and white for, for people. So this idea that not only women, like you said, being ridiculed for their emotions, but especially men, that whole narrative, the, machis, mm -hmm. the macho narrative of what it means to be a man, not to have emotions, ignoring that we have emotions, like we're not animals on this planet, mm -hmm. that emotions are a vehicle for tapping into intuition. Or maybe that's not, maybe that's not correct. I think of emotions as being more um, indicators. Like if I'm driving my car, emotions are like check engine lights and maintenance lights and turn signals that indicate something to me. And when I hear you talk about intuition, to me, intuition is a felt sense. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not the logic that is typically associated with masculinity. It's more of the, the opposite side of the spectrum. And if I'm, if I'm not listening to what the lights and the check engine things saying on my dashboard, I may be missing something really important. So if I, I, for many years, I ignored my gut. For many years, I ignored what my instincts and my intuition was telling me because my mind was overriding what those emotions said. And to me, that's mm -hmm. a classic battle of masculine and feminine. So part of this, I think a lot of people need to get over the fact that if we're talking about masculine, then we're talking about men. If we're talking about feminine, we're talking about women, because really we're just talking about a series of qualities or characteristics, and we're clustering them under mm -hmm. two words that complement one another. And so- mm -hmm. What I'm hearing and what you're sharing that I'd like you to say more about is how our emotions connect to intuition 
And if you need to call it something else, then call it your gut. Cause that's something that's what a lot of guys like to say. Let's, yeah. let the, let's, let's call it our gut. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be more palatable for most men to call it the gut. But there are, um, you know, we have five, his intuition is we have five, you know, understood physical senses, but there's 21 intuitive senses. And that's all they are essentially senses. So it's just having those additional senses, and it's clairvoyance, clairaudience, clair, you know, being able to hear something or see something. Um, and empathy is one of them, being able to connect with other people, which is something that I have is one of my dominant things. Uh, intuitive knowing is also incredibly powerful. It's also one of my uh, stronger intuitive senses. But yeah, being, being able to tune into these senses, learn what they are, learn which ones are useful for you that you, because all of us have them and we have a few, a handful of them, one or two at least, that we're really good at already. And so find out what that is and use it because it's going to be really helpful for you. Yeah. And as, as far as emotions go, those are even more basic. That's like, I mean... Mice have emotions, you know, animals have emotions. Emotions are very basic to the functioning of an animal, but certainly to humans. So, and I always like to look at emotions like they're like the weather. They're like water running down a stream. It's just this thing or your blood going through your veins. It's part of the energy that keeps you functioning properly, just like blood is. And it's just moving through you like this. The, the issue that is going on is that somewhere in human evolution, humans learned a skill, which was a great and useful skill, to be able to disconnect themselves from their emotions at will. Mm. And this can be helpful in an emergency situation, in combat, in something. You, you don't want to be completely blown out and panicked because if this happens to a soldier, they become useless, right? So it's a great skill, but we've taken that so that we are now, instead of you know, someone's attacking us with a sword, we, we do it because we don't like the email we just received. And so all day long, every day, all of us are, maybe not all, but almost all of us are blocking those emotions. We're shoving them down, we're suppressing them and repressing them, which is even more. Suppressing is when you feel it start to come up and then you, oh, I don't want to feel that. I'm going to go on Facebook, TV, smoke pot, whatever I'm going to go do because... I don't like this feeling. And repressing is when it's at such a level that it's just happening automatically outside of your awareness. And so this energy does not disappear. That stream is still flowing. So all that stuff is building up inside you, building up, building up, building up. And it continues to build up as long as you repress it. And it will come out in. That's why, I mean, I had this when I was younger, just explosions of anger sometimes because I'm pushing all the anger down because it's not okay to be angry. So you're just shoving it in. And it's kind of like holding the lid on a boiling pot and you're just holding it on, holding it on, holding it. But it's going to blow up. Eventually, it's going to blow up. Right. And it'll come out in a lot of different ways. It could come out in, especially if you don't cry, that can really come out. That can explode in tears. It can come out in anger. It can come out in fear and anxiety, which is what a lot of people are getting now. And so they're medicated and they're ashamed of it. So they're not telling anyone. So there's 
majority of Americans walking around medicated on stuff because they have that whole cascade told anybody. (laughs) So, um, so everyone thinks, Hey, everyone else is okay. You know, it's just me. It's Mm -hmm. not just you. It's everyone. So it's not just you. And, um, uh, I get, went through so many subjects there. I think I lost track of where I was, but well, that's that's okay because I, I think I you said some really, there. you said some really great things there. As the, the the one I really I'm really just loving that you shared is that there's still a place and time where disassociating from our emotions is useful. I think that especially again, this is what we do as society. We swing so far to the other end of the spectrum. A decade or two ago, men having emotions was completely taboo. And now all we want people to do is feel, 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 feel. But we, I, I think it's so important to acknowledge that every function and capacity we have as humans serves a purpose. And the problem is, is that sometimes we take a hammer to go and try to bang a screw into the wall mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're, we're misallocating and, and, and misusing the tools and skills that we have adapted as humans to survive. So I really like that you mentioned that piece. Unfortunately, we got to start wrapping it up here. So I really enjoyed a lot of what you shared here, James. Uh, I'm sure we could go on forever and ever and ever talking about the subject, but I want to ask you a few lightning round questions before I let you go. So are you ready for the hot seat? Okay. The hot seat's here. All right. So what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? I guess that I was capable of extraordinary growth and ability to see and know things and change my ideas about things radically. Beautiful. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? I think it's well, compassion for self and others. Awesome. And what does the world need most from men right now? It needs leadership from men who have a healthy masculine and feminine balance and can have proper discernment and compassion. I love that. All right, James. Well, it's been an honor to have you on here, my friend. Uh, Last but not least, why don't you tell everybody how they can connect with you if they'd like to follow you and find out more about what you're up to? So you can go to my website if you're interested in working with me, especially it's authenticlife9.com. If you want to see some information and things, you can look at my Instagram, which is at authenticlife9.com. And You can also look at my YouTube channel, which is at Authentic Life um, 9. And I also have a number of articles that I've written that are on Elephant Journal, and you can just search for my name there. There's some great, useful tools in a lot of those articles. Some of the videos on YouTube have them as well, but you could really, they can really be used to your advantage if you go look them up. Thank you so much, James. I really enjoyed getting to connect with you and get to know you in this way. Look forward to connecting with you more in the future. And we'll make sure that we put all that information up in the show notes. You take care of yourself and uh, let's do it again sometime. Catch up further down the road. 
Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. Thanks, Jetty. I, I really had a good time. It's great getting to know you a bit, too. All right, y'all, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure you head over to risingman.org. Get yourself registered for the brotherhood and become a bigger part of the Rising Man community today. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us. And do yourself a favor, check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. You can get to see our faces and watch the videos of these episodes and other content that's only available on YouTube. So go ahead and subscribe there as well. Big ups to everybody out there supporting Rising Man. Thank you for your support. Thank you for helping us drive this mission forward. For all your love, for all the messages, everything that you do to keep fueling this machine. Much love. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.